I'm not going to do a series, part of any series today. It's, it's kind of a standalone thing. It is a little bit of a vision message for as we go into 2022, as you'll see as we kind of unroll, un, unfurl this message today. I want to start off with a scripture in Isaiah chapter 37, verse 31. And it says, And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. And I love this scripture because it kind of encapsulates just in a, in a small picture what growth is like uh, in the natural and in the kingdom of God. That you have roots downward and then you get fruit upward. And I love that. If you want to have fruit, how many of you guys know you got to have roots, right? You got to have roots. And I love that, but there was a time in my life when I really didn't like that at all. I really hated that. <laughs> I didn't want that concept to be true. And I've shared that with you before. Uh, and one of the particular times in my life was when God was really working on me to start this church, and I was pushing back a lot because the, the main reason I was pushing back is because I didn't want to have roots in a place. And the reason I didn't want to have roots in a place is because I knew if you're going to plant a church, you're going to do something like that, it's going to take an investment of time, it's going to take an investment of of roots in a place where it's, you're going to have to stay put for a while. You're going to have to stay in a people for a while. You're going to have to stay in a place for a while. And the reason I didn't want to do that is because I had previously been uprooted from another place in a very painful way. And how many of you guys know that sometimes when you've been uprooted in a painful way, it's hard for you to have roots in a new place, right? And so maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you're like, I'm just fine not being rooted in any place. Like you wanna have kind of roots, but they're on the surface roots, you know? And maybe you're fine with that because you've been uprooted in some way, in some relationship, maybe a past church experience, maybe a family dynamic, and so it's very hard for you to have roots. And there's a lot of people out there who want the fruit but are afraid of planting the roots. But, but Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse four and five, he says this, one of the, it's a very famous passage of scripture. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. You cannot bear fruit unless you're connected to the root. This is what he's saying. You cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now here he's talking about being plugged into him, being plugged into God. But all throughout scripture, we also see that it's also more than that in the sense that we are also connected to the body of Christ, to the family of God, to the plans of God, to the purpose of God, to the kingdom of God. And all of these require roots. It says, whoever abides in me, he says, I am the vine, you are the branch. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you want to have if you, if you don't have any roots, there are two possibilities. One, you will have no fruit, according to Jesus. Or if, if you don't have roots, the second possibility is that you will have fake fruit. So you have two options. No fruit or fake fruit. And I used to say this, we, we used to say this in youth ministry all the time. Hey, it doesn't make you a car just because you go and try to sleep in a garage. It doesn't turn you into a car, right? And we would just use, the, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't, just because you cluck like a chicken doesn't make you a chicken, right? And in the same way, let me just say some things about spiritual things. And, and even just, you know, just be, you, you are not a missionary just because you live internationally. You're not a pastor just because you're employed by a church and preach sermons. 
you're not a Christian just because you show up at church. So we can have no roots and we have possibilities of either having no fruit or fake fruit. And this is what happens. A lot of us end up just in a, a cultural Christianity where we, we, want to, we don't have roots. We're unwilling to plant roots in the things of God, the plans of God, the church of God, the people of God. And so we have this fake fruit called cultural Christianity. And we end up living in this Christian bubble or this Christian world uh, that's, that's just there because it's acceptable in culture. Maybe you grew up that way. Maybe uh, it may be less and less acceptable in this culture that we're living in today, but it's still acceptable, and maybe you grew up in that, and maybe that, you know, it's easy for us in the United States of America to come into an environment like this, and you can pick almost anywhere, I don't care where you go, there's going to be some place like this in the United States where it's going to be acceptable for you to live this out without very much pain. And so we end up living a cultural Christianity. Now, let me give you just some, uh, some indicators that you might be just living a cultural Christianity instead of actually a rooted Christianity. And let me just give you a couple. The first one is this. You rarely talk about Jesus and the things of God outside of the context of church. You think it's acceptable, you know, to give Jesus your Sunday, but not the rest of your day. It's like we give Jesus... Our Sunday, but not our Facebook. Hello. We, we give Jesus parts of our life, but not all of our life. You might be just living a cultural Christianity. Uh, let me give you another indication. You love the experience of church life. Like, you actually like the things that go along with church. You, you like doing the things. You like showing up here and, and getting free coffee from us and all of those things. You know, you like certain things about, about church life. You like a lot of things about church life, but you don't like the experience of the exchanged life of the crucified life of the cross, because there's an exchange that has happened there, right? Because there's some things in you that if you follow Jesus has to die so that other things can be resurrected. And if we just pick and choose, and we like the experience of church life, but we don't like the, the cross and the exchange of the cross, then we've, we've got a, a problem there. Let me give you another one. This may be the biggest that you might just be living a cultural Christianity instead of actually rooted. It's this. Your lifestyle and thinking wouldn't change that much if it were irrefutably proven that Christianity were not true. These are evaluation points in our life. Would your life actually change? Maybe your schedule would change on Sunday mornings. But would your life actually change if it were irrefutably proven true that Christianity was not real? And if it wouldn't change that much, then maybe, maybe we, we aren't as rooted as we think we are in this life called following Jesus. And so every time I think about these things, I think about the early church. Like, what was it like for the early church, you know? Because they, they were experiencing things up close. So what was it like? for the early church. And so I like, you know me, I like to take you to, to help show you some different things and to make it visual for you. And just, I want you to get an essence of what it was like for the early church. And what I want you to look for is how thorough and complete and involved every single part of Jesus was in their life. So let's take a look. After the miraculous event at Pentecost, the disciples continued to preach the gospel in and around Jerusalem. The growing number of Jesus followers would meet together in homes for meals, fellowship, and prayer. 
They sold their possessions and gave to those in need and demonstrated their love for their neighbor. And daily, the apostles would go up there to preach the gospel on the temple grounds themselves. Although the temple area is now covered by a Muslim shrine known as the Dome of the Rock, this is the same place where the apostles went each day. Specifically, they would meet unbelievers at a place known as Solomon's Colonnade or Solomon's Porch. This was the large flat area on the Temple Mount right in front of the beautiful gate that led into the temple courts. Within a short period of time, this new movement was known as the Way. Most historians agree that this came from the very words of Jesus when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. Now remember that most of these early first followers of Jesus were Jews. That's why this movement was referred to as a sect of Judaism known as the way. This group was growing steadily and the religious leaders here in Jerusalem were taking notice. What happened? They thought that they had rid themselves of this Jesus of Nazareth before the last Passover. His disciples had all but disappeared in fear and shame. Now things had changed again. These followers of Jesus had come out of hiding and were boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus right here on the temple grounds. This was not going unnoticed. This new way was threatening the established religious order. To see how thorough that was, right? Every part of their life, right? And that's because they were rooted. Now, maybe you've struggled in this area of roots. Maybe you've struggled planting roots. And I want to give you kind of a self-evaluation of four kinds of people who resist roots. And if you struggle to plant, if you resist accountability, if you're afraid of connection, it may be because you've become one of these people. So I want you to just be honest about this. And I've kind of labeled them this way so you can hopefully remember them a little bit better. But the first kind of person that resists roots is impermanent people. People who just kind of bounce back and forth to thing to thing to thing, right? These are people who, uh, you know, just are, are going from thing to thing. Now, before the automobile and before the airplane, uh, most people's life was pretty much centered just around a few miles of their home, like a few miles of where they were born, right? I mean, they didn't travel very much. And so when the airplane came out and the automobile came out, it all of a sudden gave us these possibilities that we didn't have before to be able to travel. And you could go, like in one day from now, you could be almost anywhere on the planet, right? One day from now. I mean, the, the opportunities totally changed. You could even go into space if you're friends with Jeff Bezos. And so everything changed, right? But it used to be that people were kind of planted in an area, planted in a, in a, in a community, most likely for all of their life. It used to be that people worked a job all of their life so much that it became their last name, right? They worked a job, maybe in you know, a few generations ago, you would work your whole life at a certain job, the same job your whole life. You would retire from there. You'd get a pension from there and retirement from there. And then your son would rise up and he would take your place and work the same job that you worked and then he would retire there. Now we bounce from job to job to job to job to job all over the place, right? That's kind of our cultural thing. That's what we do. 
We have become transient people and, and, and movable people. And, and we don't have a problem. It, it used to be in the early church. I mean, think about this. In, in the early church, if you went to church and you lived in the city of Ephesus, you went to the church at Ephesus because there was just one church at Ephesus. You, didn't be, you, you weren't like, I don't really think these guys at Ephesus really know how to sing that well. I'm going to go check out the church in Corinth over there, and I'm just going to go see what they're doing over there because I think they've got it going. You didn't do that, right? Because you were planted you were, you were rooted there. But now we go from church to church, or we go from relationship to relationship. We become a transient people. And people who move all over the place in life also seem to not have roots in anything. Are you an impermanent person where it seems like you go from idea to idea, maybe from problem to new problem, from relationship to new relationship? This, this comes out in our spiritual life as well. So impermanent people, they resist roots. The second type of person I'm, I'm calling impressionable people. Do you know that we are the most advertised generation, advertised to generation in history, right? I mean, you can't watch a video without being advertised to, right? How many of you guys, whenever an ad comes up, it's like, now I'm not buying your product because you interrupted, Right? We're the most advertised generation, the most marketed to generation in all of history. Why? Because we are easily swayed. We can be moved. We don't like to admit that, but come on, it's true. And marketers know that it's actually true, and, and they put a lot of money into it. Why? Because it works. We are the most advertised to generation. We are, we are easily swayed. We have more conspiracy theories today. Why? Well, one, we've been given reasons to, but the second reason, <laughs> the second reason, hold on, I ain't done yet. Second reason is we are easily swayed. And people know that we're easily swayed. They can plant seeds to easily sway us. So we get fixated on these things and what one might be a, a, a little thought that might have some credibility all of a sudden can evolve into something much larger and much different. And then we, we start to fixate on the news and we start to fixate on political things and we start to fixate on doomsday scenarios and pretty soon before long we've been swayed into fear, into paranoia, into all of these other thoughts, distrust, all these things out of something that was Small. Why? Because we're easily swayed. We're impressionable people. We don't like to admit that. We think we're right, but we actually are impressionable people. And so we are easily swayed by feelings. And so we're moved by our feelings because we're impressionable people. Whatever we feel that day, our whole society and whole culture, there's whole part, parts of our culture that are built on whatever you feel is truth. Whatever you feel today, whoever you feel you are, is truth, because we're easily swayed, right? And we become impressionable people. We, we go and we listen to a podcast or a preacher that we like, and if we, don't, if we hear something we don't like that maybe tweaks us the wrong way, we'll go find another one. Why? Because we're easily swayed, and so we can move from book to book. We go from fad to fad, the new latest Christian thing that's out there. We, we jump on that bandwagon. Why? Because we're easily swayed. And yet, you know, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, it says, beware of false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You know there are false prophets even in our circles. Just making sure y'all know that, okay? Just making sure y'all know that. Because there are. There are false prophets in our circles because we're easily swayed. And Jesus says, beware of them. Why? Because he knew it was possible. You think, no, it's not possible in my, in my circle. No, it, it, Jesus said it because he knew it was possible. Beware of false prophets who come to you. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They come to you as if they are the answer. They come to you as if they're right. They come to you with the temptation for you to jump in and believe they're right. They're that good. Beware. Beware. Why? It says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Eventually, the fruits are going to come out. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes and, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. He says, be careful. Why? Because we're easily swayed. So impressionable people have a hard time getting roots because we're easily moved with the next thing, right? Number three, inward-focused people. If you're inward focus, here's the thing about, like, if you get a picture of a tree. A picture of a tree has roots. There's a process that goes along with that, roots and nutrients and receiving. There's a process of giving and receiving that actually makes all of that work. But if you're inward focused, you're going to think it's all about you. It's all about you receiving, and that's the end of it. It's going to be hard for you to have roots if you're inwardly focused. Why? Because there are going to be moments in your life when things don't seem to be about you. And that is, that's when you're tempted to uproot. So there are going to be things in your life where it seems like it doesn't feel good to you. So it's hard to have roots if your whole paradigm is about whether it's about me or not or whether it helps me or not. So it becomes hard for us to have roots. All right, the fourth kind is independent people. Independence is like a badge of, badge of honor in our culture, isn't it, right? It's not always a bad thing, but, but I mean, we even have the declaration of independence. Like, we're just going to declare it that we're independent, Right? And, and there's something good and honorable about that, but then there's also something very dangerous about that when it comes to planting roots in things like the kingdom of God, the purpose of God, the plans of God in our life. Because we've become so good at being independent that we've created another problem. And the problem that we've created is a word called loneliness. You can be so independent, independent that you're actually lonely even in a crowd. But you're independent. Independent people have a hard time getting roots because if you always want to be by yourself, how are you ever going to be planted in other people? How are you ever going to be planted in a place if, if you're always needing to stand on your own? So all of these things fight against roots, but I believe roots are important, and I believe that it's time for us to reset roots. And so I'm calling us to reset some roots in our life. I'm coming back to Scripture, okay? Not to culture, but to Scripture, Coming back to scripture and say it's time for us to reset roots. And if you are battling these things, if you are lonely, if you are independent, if you are an isolationist or whatever, there may be a reason for that, but there's also a remedy for that. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I want you to think about this. This is what we just talked about with the apostles and the disciples Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost came, the tongues of fire, the power of God, the presence of God, the church was born. Peter stands up, he preaches a sermon. And then at the end of that, we see a picture of what it was like for the early disciples. And in this, we see four things, I believe, that are remedies 
to anti-roots. And, and I'll list them off real quick as we read this through. But Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, it says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, that was radical, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want you to see, and we'll look at this in detail as we go through this, but I want you to see there are four things here in there that gave them roots, I believe, as I was praying about it this week and and studying this out. And I'm going to list them off really quick, and then we'll, we'll dig into them a little bit later. But the four things that gave them roots, number one, is they understood the power of place. They understood the power of place. Number two, they understood the power of identity. Number three, they understood the power of purpose. And number four, they understood the power of family. All of these things are things that contribute to actually giving us roots. And so as we go into 2022, there, there are a lot of things that we can do individually and as families that might reset some roots in our life. But my job is to help us as a church reset some roots. And listen, over the last couple years, if we're honest, maybe even leading up to the last couple years, we weren't really that great at having roots. But then we come into 2020 and our everything got uprooted, didn't it? I mean, everything. Every single person here, every one of our schedules got uprooted. Every single thing that was turned upside down. And the question is, what do we do now? And so I want to call us back to reset some roots. And here's how we're going to do it. And I'm going to share this video with you that we're going to share uh, several times over the next several weeks uh, throughout our social media and all that, that sort of thing to get the word out there. But I'm going to lay out a plan in this video for what we're going to do to reset roots in our church. And I'm inviting you, I'm daring you to be a part of it. So let's watch. All right, here's what we're going to be doing in 2022 as a church. We're going to be doing something called the 100-Day Dare. I am so excited about this. The 100-Day Dare is based on a Bible reading program that goes for 100 days. Over the 100 days, we'll read a couple chapters a day, and it'll take us through the whole storyline of Scripture. Not through every chapter in the Bible, but we'll get an overview at the end of it, and we're going to kick it off for the first 100 days of 2022. Here's what's cool about that. January 1 is a Saturday. So we are starting off the year with a service, a church service on the very first day of the year. And the hundredth day when we'll end this is Palm Sunday. What a great thing of celebration. So we'll go a hundred days. Now, the hundred day dare includes four dares. And the first dare is this. I dare you, if you're going to reset some things, I dare you to faithfully attend the weekend services throughout the 100 days of the 100 day dare and beyond. We want you to go beyond that, but let's reset some things in our life to recommit to the holy habit 
of the gathering. The second part of the dare is this, to read the 100-day Bible reading program with us. Everybody's going to be doing it all the way from our kids, all the way through. We're going to be reading this together, and I'm going to preach a message each week that goes along with our Bible reading program, and it's going to be connecting our whole church. We'll be walking through this together. The third part of the dare is this, I challenge you, I dare you to serve somewhere on the weekend at Journey Church. And here, I'm gonna challenge you even further. Don't just serve once a month. Serve three or four times a month. Serve, I mean, let's dig in. Let's lock arms. I know some of us can't do that, but some of us really need to reset this idea of outward focus, of serving other people. Uh, the fourth part of the dare is this, to get in and join a dare group. What's a dare group, you say? Well, a dare group are groups that we are starting that are gonna be unfolding over the next few weeks. You can go to journeykc.com slash groups and you'll see that there's not maybe much there now, but there will be, and you'll see all these groups begin to form over the next couple weeks. We're gonna have 30 or 40 or who knows how many of these groups that are already starting to come together and you'll be able to join them. Now, what's a part of a dare group? A dare group has four components so you can know uh, what this is all about. First of all, it's a start-stop group. So it'll start sometime in January and it'll end around the time of the 100-day dare ending. And so it's a, it's a short commitment, but it, I believe it's an important commitment to reset some things in our life. So here's what's part of a dare group. Number one, we have the dare. So you'll join together and you will say, hey, what has challenged me this week about our scripture reading? What has challenged me this week in the sermon? And you'll be able to hear what other people have been challenged with as well and how God is working in their life. The second part of a dare group is called the share. So we encourage you to share a meal together, share a snack together, share a dessert, Food is biblical. It's all throughout the Bible. There's something about gathering around a meal or food that just unites people together. The third part of a dare group is care. We want to we find out, are there any needs in this group, this new group of friends that we have, this new group of family, that we could meet practical things? This is what it looks like to live in community with one another. So we want to practice these things. And the fourth part is prayer. Are there any prayer needs that we can meet in this group by praying for one another because we believe in the power of prayer? And so if you want to do those things, I dare you to join the 100-Day Dare. If you want to jump in and serve and you say, hey, I haven't gone through Discover the Journey yet. Listen, we got another one coming in January. It's okay. We'll go ahead and get you started even if you haven't uh, gone through Discover the Journey yet. As long as you're saying, I'm going to go in January, we'll go ahead and get you started. We want you to be a part of this. This is what it looks like in our church family right now for 2022 to reset roots in our church. All right, I am so excited about that. I'm more excited about this than I've been in a long time. There, let me tell you, there are, there are two times, we were talking about this earlier with some people in our group, in our ministry leader group, and there's only a couple other times in my life where I've been this excited about what's coming next. The first time was when we, right around the time we started this church. The second time was right before we got into this building. And the third time is now. So I don't, I, I just want you to have that anticipation. And listen, if you're in a real life group already, your group will roll into it being a dare group during this time. So just so you know that, but 
I encourage you guys to get in there. So this is what it's going to do. Now let me lay down, lay, lay out the, the foundation for why these things are actually important in our church to do. And they may seem like just practical things on the surface. I want you to see it's way more than that. The thing that the 100 Day Dare is going to do for us is, number one, it's going to recommit us to the holy habit of place. And, and let me just tell you, this is the remedy for impermanence. If you found yourself just jumping all over the place, there's something about recommitting to this habit of place. Let me, let me just get into it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, this is what they did. This is what they understood, the power of place. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They came to a place day by day, week by week, they came to a familiar, consistent place. There was something about that. Coming to a place. How many of you guys remember certain places in your life that you can just, that have these memories attached to them? How about your, anybody remember your grandma's house? Anybody? I was thinking about this and I remember my grandma's house and this certain place. In fact, my, my grandparents passed away, but for, from the time that they passed away, they lived at that house since my mom was four years old. They moved to that house, and from my mom being four years old all the way until they passed away, they lived at the same house, 323 West Prairie Street. And I remember going by there after they passed away and, and just seeing all these memories in this place. I remember the yard out in back, how the cousins, my cousins and I, we would go back out there and we would play, and she had a garden out in the back. And, and I remember working in the garden. It's probably how I started having these ideas to garden myself. I just remember seeing this garden. She'd have all these flowers out there. I, I remember so many things about that place and that, that time in my life. I, I remember my cousins and I, we would, we would stay upstairs in rooms that we wouldn't really get to go to very much until, unless we spent the night there at Grandma's house. And we would stay up really late in the night, and we'd talk about stuff we probably shouldn't talk about. And then one day we realized that my grandma had an intercom system, and she was listening to everything we were saying, and we heard out of the darkness, boys, go to sleep. And... <laughs> sticks out of my mind. I remember the, the exact spot I was standing when my grandma took me and my cousin and stuck a bar of soap in our mouth for saying word a word that I don't even think we knew the meaning to, but we had to sit there with a bar of soap in our mouth. Good times, right? It was great times. I remember Christmas time, how every Christmas was the same thing. They, they had this covered front porch. It was an enclosed front porch. And all of the cousins had to go and eat out there. We would go get food and we'd have to eat out in the covered front porch, the enclosed front porch, because there was no room uh, in the other spots. And so we would go out there and every single year we would ask my cousin Mark to tell his joke of the year. And he would have this joke of the year that and sometimes it was the same joke from year to year, but Mark had to tell the joke every year. And I remember, my, my grandfather was a notoriously slow eater. And so there was this rule that, I guess it was an unspoken rule at Christmas Eve that we could not open up the presents until everyone was done eating. How many of you guys have something like that? Well, my grandfather, every single year, would be on his, like, first and a half plate, you know, and he's still eating mashed potatoes or something. So every single Christmas Eve would, would come to this crescendo of everyone in the house chanting, Grandpa, Grandpa. <laughs> We're just willing him to finish eating, you know, before we could open presents. 
I, I remember several of those times like that that are just kind of marked in my memory. Um, one year, my grandma made fried apples, like with cinnamon, and she was, oh, yeah, somebody's getting a witness there, but, <laughs> and I, <laughs> that's what I was like, and I went up to my grandma, and I, I ate some of those, I was like, oh, these are amazing, and so then the next Christmas Eve, my grandma was making fried apples, and she was like, I made these just for you, Sean, and then every single year, she made fried apples, and she'd say that, I made these just for you, and I don't know if she was lying to me, if she was planning on making them anyway, <laughs> But I felt like she was making them just for me. And when my grandparents passed away, my, my mom called me and she said, Sean, is there anything that you can remember from your grandparents' house that you would like to have? And I said, yes, there is. I immediately knew exactly what it was. And I said, in the hallway, tucked away in the corner, there was this puzzle picture thing that had, you know, like a puzzle that had been glued together and hung up as a picture. And it was this old Coca-Cola advertisement of this old, this old picture with the lady on it just holding a Coke or something like that. You know, it's a really unique thing. And, and I said, I'd like to have that Coca-Cola picture. And she was just shocked that I even knew it was there, that I remembered what it was. She was like, why out of all things would you pick that? And I was like, I don't know. I just remember as a kid being in that hallway several times, maybe sitting on those stairs that were around there and looking at that picture and just staring at it and wondering what was behind that picture and what was involved in all of that. And now I have that picture in my house. There's something about a place, right? And it wasn't, it wasn't the actual building, but it was what the building represented, right? That's why when I talk about a place and I talk about like a church building like this, it's not about this building. I mean, this is just walls and steel. This is just built to be a retail place that we just knocked holes in the walls and turned into an auditorium. It's not the building. It's what represent, it's represented in this building. It's what happens in this building. You know, my, my old pastor, when we were building the, the church where Eventually, we, we got into, he, he declared that place was going to be a landmark for salvation. That people would be able to look at that building and they would say, that's the place I got saved. That's the place that I gave my life to Jesus. That it'd be a landmark for salvation in the city. It's not the building. It's what the building represents. It's the power place. We used to have, and we still do in some places, the grand cathedrals are to remind us of the power of place. Now, you can worship a place and miss the point, but you can also discount a place and have no history and have no roots. But there ought to be, there ought to be places in this building that you ought to be able to point to and say, that's the place where I received the Holy Spirit. That's the place where I gave my life to Jesus. That's the place where I prayed with somebody and I had a breakthrough. That's the night that I had a breakthrough at the altar. It's not the building. It's what the building represents. But there's a power in place. And some of us have forgotten the power of place. The disciples knew it, though. They came day by day, week by week, in the temple and breaking bread in their homes. How many opportunities have we missed because we've discounted the power of place? That's not to bring shame or condemnation. It's to bring an invitation in 2022 that we can reclaim the power of place. All right, the second thing that, that it's going to do for us is it's going to help us rewire our identity. Listen, if you found yourself to be impressionable and you just kind of, you're swayed, easily swayed. 
I'm easily swayed by the next thought that's out there. I'm easily swayed by the news. I'm easily swayed by conspiracy theory. I'm easily swayed by the next wind of doctrine. What we're going to do by going through the Bible together is it's going to help rewire our identity. Because our identity is not found in culture. It's not found in people's ideas. It's not found in your feelings. It's not found in your wants. It's found in the word of God. And so the disciples understood this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Listen, it's the word of God that informs who you are. It's the preached word of God that informs who you are. It's the prophetic words of God over your life and in your life that inform who you are. It's not what you feel. It's not what you want. It's not what you desire. It's not what culture says. It's not what Oprah says. It's not what anybody else says. This is it, right? This is it. The prophetic word of God, the preached word of God, the the written word of God, those are the things that are going to rewire our identity. And we we know this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world. It's not about what the world thinks. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may, by testing, you may discern what the will of God is. How do you know what the will of God is for your life? The the will of God is, is determined by the word of God, the preached word of God over your life, the prophetic words of God over your life. Those are the things that inform the will of God in your life. The prayer that you have in your prayer closet with just you and God, those are the things. And that's what's good and acceptable and perfect. Because here, here's, the, here's the deal. Victory or defeat hangs in the balance depending on how you are wired and what you're wired with. Victory or defeat hangs in the balance. So 100-day dare is going to help us with that. Number three, if you found that you've been inward focused, the remedy for being inward focused is this, and this is what the 100-day dare is going to help us practice. It's going to help us practice being returned to an outward focused purpose. Now, yesterday we had our harvesters outreach. We got a quick video of all of the... uh, the cars that were lined up and lined up. Let this bit video roll on out. Let it complete, completely roll out. I think we'll have time to, to play it out. You can see all of these cars that were lined up. And I'm so proud of our team yesterday of serving all of these people. This is us having an outward focus to the community. Let, let that keep rolling. I just want you to see that. Acts chapter 2, verse 44 through 45, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Returning to an outward focused purpose that it's not just about us. It's not just about our thing. It's not just about our uh, lives. But it's looking outward towards other people. This is what having an outward focus is like. You can just see all of those cars. It's just amazing. It just continues to go and go and go. And so when I talk about serving other people, just even within our church, it's going to give us the ability to return to serving an outward focus serving moment. And he ran a red light. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> I know who, well, they they edited the video, but um, (laughs) I think he's watching now probably too. But anyway, uh, but we have to look outward. It just keeps going, guys, okay? All right, we've, we've got enough there, okay. Can I just tell you that the most, think about this, the most joyful, generous people you know are outward focused people. I want you to think about this. The people in your life who have been, that you find the most encouraging 
and the most helpful to your life, the reason why you find them that way is because they are outward-focused people. The people who've made the difference in your life or that you maybe even admire because of that, they're outward-focused. The people who've had the impact on your life are outward-focused people. Now, wouldn't you like to be that for somebody else? Returning to an outward-focused purpose. And that can all happen with the decision of the will and the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to get some training wheels on that again, reset that by coming and serving one another. And I challenge you, you're, you're not doing the 100-day dare unless you're doing all of it, okay? You're doing all of it. So I challenge you to get involved and to serve somewhere. This is practicing being outward focused. All right, the last thing is this. The remedy for being independent is found also in this scripture section, and it's this, that we need to reset some roots in family, and this is what's going to help us in the 100-day dare. I'm going to have the worship team come back as I close up this point, but Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says, we read this already, but it says, and day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Doesn't this sound like family? That just sounds like family, right? Some of us need to reset roots in family. We need to reset our roots in family. And maybe you've been in this season and you wouldn't describe it this way. Maybe you've been in a season and you wouldn't admit it. But I'm gonna tell you a truth right now that you may not describe this in your life or wouldn't admit this is in your life, but unrooted people are lonely people. And what unrooted people do to mask their loneliness is to create busyness. So we create busyness to mask our loneliness because we don't want to be rooted. You're going to be involved in something. Why not put roots in family? That's what the early church did. Because loneliness, it works against everything that God is working towards. Let me tell you why. God is all sufficient, right? He didn't need anything. He didn't even need us. And yet God decided to be a father with the family because God values this idea of family so much that even when he didn't need it, he created it. And loneliness works against everything that God started with. In fact, when Adam was in the garden, what did he say? It's not good that you are alone because loneliness works against everything that God is doing. And God has plans for you to be in a family. In fact, Psalm chapter 68, verse 5 and 6 says that he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. That God places the lonely in families. God places the lonely in families. And listen, if, if you're here and you've been a part of church life, maybe this is your first time walking in church. If you're lonely, you find yourself lonely and you've maybe been in church for 20 years, 30 years of your life, I'm just gonna suggest it could be because we haven't been willing to put the roots in. We just haven't been willing to put the roots in. And it's painful, but it's also purposeful. He sets the lonely in, in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. That little last part there is so telling. It's saying, you can do it your own way. You can do it without doing any of these things we talked about today. But it's a sun's horse land. It's a hard way. It's 
it's a hard path. But you can do it. It's just a hard path. And so I want you to know that God has plans. His plans are to root you in family. His plans are to root you in his mission. His plans are to root you in his kingdom. His plans are to root you in the life of God, in the family of God. That's the the plan of God for you. But we still have to choose it. We just still have to choose it. So I want to call us to repentance. Maybe you've, you honestly have been that impermanent person where you've just jumped from place to place to place. Relationship to relationship to relationship. I'm calling us to repentance. Maybe you've been that impressionable person that you just have been swayed by whatever wind of doctrine, swayed by whatever latest theories out there, swayed by your feelings. It's time to have some roots. Maybe you've been inward focused and it's really been all about you. And up to this point in your life, it's really all been about you. It's really, you're honest, it's really been about you. And I'm calling us to repentance to say, let's lift up our eyes and look out. Maybe you've just been that independent isolationist, like I'm just gonna do it my own way. I'm just gonna stand on my own two feet. I don't need anybody. Because that's the American way. (laughs) What is the kingdom way? Really, what is the kingdom of God way? The kingdom of God way is the body of Christ connected to one another. The kingdom of God way says, I am humble enough to know that if I'm gonna walk with Jesus, I need other people. You cannot follow Jesus without other people. That's a bold statement, right? It's absolutely true. Because he designed it that way. He designed it that way. So I'm calling us to reset roots and family. And here's what happens when we do. Psalm chapter one, verse one through three, it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields fruit. Guess what? There's some roots in the right place. That's what it's saying. When you get roots in the right place, what happens is that that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does prospers. See, some of us want the fruit, but we don't want the root. And so what we do is we fake the fruit without the root. Come on, there's a better place. Isn't there a better place, right? Would you guys stand up with me as we get ready to worship God one more time? Lord, we come before you right now and we say, we yield to you. I'm, I'm speaking on my behalf and I also speak on behalf of this church and say, Lord, we wanna, we wanna reset some things in our life, reset some roots in our life. We'll be called back to the holy habit of place, rewire our identity and, and refocus outwardly, not just inwardly, and reset back to the family that you've called us to be planted in. Lord, as we do this, we know that fruit is gonna come. We know that fruit is gonna come out of this. Fruit in our family, fruit in our relationships, fruit in our marriages, fruit in our kids, fruit in our friends, fruit in our mission, fruit in this community. So Lord, even though we're a couple, you know, several weeks away from this launching, Lord, I just pray a blessing over this time, this first 100 days that we're gonna have as a church in 2022. And I also pray, pray over the seed that's planted in us today. Let it produce fruit in our life, a hunger for more of you. Lord, we yield to you. We shed anything that is not of you and we commit to your purposes in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's worship him one more time.